Hey everyone, and welcome to another entry of our show, The Searchers. We exist to make your job at picking which movies to watch easier. Hopefully that's what we do. I am your host, Benjamin, and today joining me is my partner in crime, Christopher. Say hello. Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. What crimes are we committing today? <laughs> it's uh, when Scorpio wants you, there is no place to hide. That's the tagline. That's one of the taglines, actually. Oh. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> yes, on this episode, we are going to review the 1970s spy thriller, Scorpio. Thanks for spoiling that, Chris. Damn it. Oh, did I steal your thunder? I'm sorry. No. I was just reading the little bit of lightning, cool tagline. A little bit of thunder. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And actually, there's another, there's another tagline, the most incredible manhunt of them all, exclamation point. Is it? Is it? Is it now? Is it? <laughs> I think that's what we're here to talk tell about. the people. Yeah, the listeners, yes. dear listeners. Um, is it truly the greatest manhunt of all time? Is it? Well, you can find out first if you want to. Uh, the movie Scorpio is available in DVD for pretty cheap. I think it's under five bucks. Um, there's a nice Twilight Time Blu-ray release. Uh, it's thirty dollars. So Twilight Time's a boutique label they're kind of actually defunct and now there's another company that took them over but there was three thousand copies of most of their releases so it's sold out technically but it's still available on amazon so if you're if you're into it pick it up because once it's gone there's three thousand three thousand of them in the world once it's gone it is gone or you're paying uh for example some of the ones that are really popular they're like stupid like 95 dollars for a blu-ray i'm like "Mm, i'm good no, I'm not doing wow. that. But yeah, on that Blu-ray, there's a, there's a commentary with some film historians that I forget their names, but they are semi, you know, if you buy a lot of physical media, they're on a fair amount of, of commentary. So you'll maybe recognize their names. Uh, you can rent or buy it on your usual streaming services like Amazon, Apple, Google, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the nice thing is it is right now, as of this recording, which will probably be coming out in March... 2023 uh we're in february now but in march 2023 it is free on tubi which is chris's favorite thing tubi is the best i'm sure everybody knows about it and let's clarify that is tubi america at least has it yeah Tubi. Uh, i know that over i know that over overseas it can be a little bit different with what's available on tubi that's yeah. just fyi for our uh, over the pond listeners or anybody else damn you distribution rights (laughs) curses curse you met if it wasn't for you meddling kids exactly exactly so the movie scorpio uh directed by michael winner of death wish fame i think he did the one two and three the first one and the first two sequels very cool we have in our little outline here a bunch of information about the production, but I don't think too many of them are pertinent besides the cast. Uh, well, the cinematographer was Robert Painter, not spelled painter as people that paint with paint, um, but rather P-A-Y-N-T-E-R. He was actually a frequent collaborator with Michael Winner. I think he did six. I counted six, but it might be more seven or eight maybe but at least six of his movies which is actually kind of a lot but i guess that's kind of a back in the day that was a thing of you know 
crew members collaborating a lot. And the music is by Jerry Fielding, who was an acclaimed composer for movies. He worked with Michael Winter a few times, Sam Peckinpah, Clint Eastwood. So his, I thought the score was pretty good. So I have nothing else really to say about the score, but I just wanted to bring that up because he's worked with some other greats or at least people consider them. Big that. names. Yes. So the movie, as we said, is a spy thriller. It is starring Burt Lancaster, Elaine Delon, and Paul Schofield. Those are the three big names. Are there any other people on the cast list, Chris, that you sh- think should be mentioned? I'll at least give a shout out to the ladies, Gail Honeycutt and the other one is Joanne Linville, the two major uh, roles for the women. I can say that I recognize their faces, but I don't believe I've actually seen them in anything before. And the third person I want to mention is Vladik Shabal, who plays Zemetkin. And it's so funny that we watched this movie when we did because I happened to just watch a movie called The Apple from 1980 it's a b-film sci-fi musical and mr vladek shayball is one of the main characters in that movie otherwise i would have had no idea who this guy is yeah so the guy his name is weird shmuel rodensky he really looks like doesn't he look a little bit he's a again a semi-minor character um yes but he looks to me like a fat Samuel Tucci or whatever the guy I actually I think I know I think I was thinking the same thing right is it is Sam Samuel Tucci right that's his name or is it something else Tucci uh Stanley Stanley Tucci Stanley Tucci Stanley Tucci yes, yes. the they, other s name he yeah. looked just like that guy I'm like eh, this is like 73 and Tucci's much much younger so that's and odd. skinnier yes I mean yes. just look I don't know they just looked similar but if we had a if we had a visual format for our listeners, we could pull up a picture of Mr. Schmuel. Is that really his name? That's his first Shmuel? name. Schmuel Rodinsky. Man. Well, Great name. Yeah. Thanks, mom and dad. I don't know if that's Yiddish. It, it is. It's Hebrew. It is Yiddish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hebrew. Yeah. He's Yiddish. a Russian. Nice. He's a Russian like, Jew. But and he played kidding, a Jew. Like all kidding aside, like Schmuel, that's... I don't think I've ever heard anybody. Yeah, he played a Jew in the movie as well. I think it's not specifically said, but I think it was implied that Burt Lancaster's character met him in one of the prison camps from World War II. I think that was implied. Uh, Yes. It was was certainly certainly implied. Yes. Okay. All right. So you caught on that too. Good, good. I did. I did. All right. So what's this movie about? Well, in a nutshell, during the Cold War, in the I think the late sixties, this would be maybe maybe it's maybe seventies, maybe it's the same time as the movie came out. But during the Cold War, the CIA orders freelance operative Scorpio, played by Alain Delon, to assassinate his former CIA mentor Cross, played by Burt Lancaster, claiming he is a traitor to the Soviets. That is it in a nutshell. Correct? Yes. The plot gets a little very much more complex than that even though it can easily be boiled down to that. Just like any other straightforward, that's even the wrong word, just like any other espionage film that wants to cover a lot of geopolitics and different continents, different countries, different states, 
just like any of those, it, it can get really complex well, really they, fast. Don't they tell you right off the bat, Burt Lancaster's name is Cross, like Double Cross? <laughs> I yes. Was like, I was like, really, guys? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just it's really... All, and so that's, that's, that's one funny. thing about the movie. This movie is... <laughs> It's really, really heavy-handed in its artistic metaphors. I don't know, Benjamin. Can you tell me, sir? No. Or remind me. I'll try. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, source material for this: original screenplay or was it adapted? It was written by a frequent winner collaborator, Gerald Wilson, who I I believe only worked on the screenplay and. He wrote it with David Rintels, who I looked up his filmography. I don't have any notes on it, but I think it was an original screenplay. So I I want to say okay. it was an original screenplay kind of definitely was, hey, an anti it, they were trying to make an anti James Bond film. That's what it felt like to me. Yes. Let's try to be everything that's not James Bond. And it was in that same vein, same vein as as the what the seventies would become in its paranoia, in its moral relativism, in its very bleak and cynical look of the world. Correct. Yes. It was extremely, uh, without spoiling the end, we'll, we'll wait a little bit longer to get to that in case we spur a little interest in people and they want to go check it out. I'll wait a little bit, but yeah, it's very cynical for a few reasons. Um, I, it definitely felt a lot to me watching it. It, it kind of screamed, Hey, the, you know, the cliche, Hey, like the CIA and any other th three letter agency, the alphabet soup agencies, they're all bad. Like, Oh, uh, they're all corrupt. And which is again, at this point, it's been 50 years since this movie came out actually exactly, which is wasn't planned, but regardless, um, Pretty good timing on our part, I'd say. Yeah, the 50th anniversary is this year, so I doubt it's going to get a release because no one wants to go, go out of their way to watch this movie anymore But because there's been so many other iterations in the spy genre that are just better. But yeah, it was definitely very, very heavy-handed in its these people are bad and here's why. Here's a bunch of examples of what they do to ruin people's lives. And Yes, and they, so you have the... Met, you have you have that you have the metaphor i guess you would call it in cross's name that were hinted as a double cross because that's clearly what his character is and then you also have this metaphor going on with elaine delon's character with kitty cats yes and i, I, I figured you'd be talking about that i i just i want to mention it now because we're in my notes i say i say the cat obsession is weird <laughs> well and it's not I, weird I what, but I, yeah you go you can, you I just want to say that I think it's I think it's it's weird in how heavy handed it is. There's because like, there's like 50 cats in this movie, guys. 50 of them, like literally you're I, a cat. Yeah. If you're a cat person, this is I, this I might actually be. Yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I mean, I don't I like cats. I don't like cats, yeah. but I don't like detest them. I just I'm very indifferent. But. OK, this, I'm, I'm in your boat. Elaine, I'm in your boat. Elaine Delon was like. Hey baby, I see a cat. Like I'm turned on. Like <laughs> I must touch it. I must feel it. I, <laughs> people are talking to me, and I'm touching a cat. Like fuck off. I want to talk. I mean, I'm like looking at the cat, man. I'm like, what are you if, doing, dude? Yes. Like calm down. If he I wasn't, if he wasn't our protagonist or one of the 
quote unquote protagonists, we would envision him as the evil villain who would be petting a cat it would while be, yeah. thinking in his chair. Very Dr. Pr- evil. provocatively. Dr. Evil status. It, it would have right? been much more interesting if Scorpio had a very big obsession with scorpions. I think that would have been cooler. Like, come on, guys. Okay. Missed that. <laughs> well, so so I want to say that heavy handed with the kitty cat because Elaine Delon and Burt Lancaster are essentially playing a game of cat and mouse. So although we have no mouse imagery, I think I think the whole cat thing, other than a very quirky obsession for the character, is supposed to say something about predator predators and prey and what's going on with the actual plot of the movie. Does it translate well? I don't think it does. It it had potential probably. They probably if I have this script and I'm writing it, I I probably have cats in like one or two scenes. The cats are in literally like 10 or 15 scenes. It's unnecessary how much they just keep talking about. You're not talking about. It, they just keep showing it. It's like, what are you doing? Um, But yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it's a decent idea. Just anything's a decent idea until you overdo it. Once you overdo something, it's too late. You can't go back. I think very rarely very rarely can you do something so hard and just swing for the fences and and have it still be good it really depends on what you're writing about what you're trying to say because most of the time it's too much i mean i'm a fan of most of the people that follow me or know what i like know that i really do i like melodrama i have a high tension for melodrama so with melodrama usually you have at least with the stuff that I really like, you can have stuff that's really, really seeped in emotion and it's, it, it swings for the fences. So if that's not your thing, if you don't have a high tolerance for it, I can understand that. Um, but in this case, when you're doing metaphor work, I think it, it really, it really depends on a balance and a knack for nuance in what you're trying to do describe show and implicate with the characters and with so with the heavy handedness you have you have a combination with in scorpio you have a combination of this heavy-handed metaphor and you have a combination of the current events of the 70s and i'll throw in this little bit of uh trivia that while they were filming while they were filming this movie the crew the cast and crew were actually staying at the Watergate hotel when the scandal went down. So I don't know if anything transpired with any script changes afterward or anything like that, or if the movie was already written and was saying all these messages about the geopolitics of the time. I also feel that these current events, even as current as that Watergate scandal was inflicting a lot of, I mean, that was the scandal that inflicted a lot of paranoia in the seventies, at least in America. Well, it was one of them. I, I want to say JFK's assassination was also a huge one. People didn't believe. Yes. T- people didn't believe it was the the original shooter. They didn't believe. They thought it was the second shooter for freaking 30 or 40 years, which they still do. And probably for good reason. Will we ever know what happened? I don't know. But that one, Watergate, uh, just the Vietnam War in general, people were already cynical as hell. JFK is a great point, though. That's That could be the starting point. I definitely want to say the Watergate, it happened in the summer of 72 and 
for some reason, I don't have the release date of Scorpio in front of me, but it came out in 73. So I'm assuming it was mid 73 too. So, so they had time to add more cynicism. I'm sure. More cynicism and more paranoia as if they didn't already have enough already, but I just love all the paranoia in these movies from the back then. And, and like all the stuff that's happening now with shit is just like, and with the internet and just how widespread information is and people exposing stuff. Some of it's still relevant. Oh, it's that relevant, feeling, but it's the, the feeling is relevant. Right. But, but the right. thing is back then it was so easy just to like, all right, turn the TV off and don't read the newspaper. And you could just be like, Oh, everything's great. But like now you got people text messaging you every other day, probably links of like, look what's happening. And look what, you know, look at this, look at that. If you're, if you know somebody that's every, everyone knows that person that just for lack of a better term, they're a conspiracy theorist, but are <laughs> more times than not, they're probably, you- they're probably right half the time. It's just crazy. Are you, are you that person? No. Are you changing Wikipedia all the time? Uh, I, I think I've changed four Wikipedia articles ever in my life because I just felt like it, but it's too much work. No. I'm not sure I've ever done that. Well, usually. I Even for I, the good. So Letterboxd is the app that we talk about a relative, you know, a lot on this podcast to it. You know, no one talks about it th- that much on other movie podcasts I listen to. So we talk about that. They directly take their information from the movie database.org, I think. And I have an account there. I have changed like 900 or probably a thousand actually at this point entries. Wow, you go hard, man. That's awesome. Well, a lot of it is <laughs> obscure Japanese movies or Italian movies or just like, what like why don't you guys have the character names? It's not that hard to get all that offline, but there are from for Japanese stuff. I go out of the way of like translating a whole web pages to get information and and fill it in. It's it's actually kind of a weird obsession of mine. But uh, no, Wikipedia don't care that. Yeah, we don't care about that the real world. Much. We just want we just we just want our facts about movies straight. Yes, give us this. The, Let me the change awesome. Let, let me change that one entry on letterbox that like 50 people in the next 10 years will look at. Woohoo. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And let's, let's make sure we upload all of the sexy posters that we want to decorate our profiles. I do that. No, yes. I mean, when I say all, I've done that specifically posters. I've probably done that five times just cause I like the poster they have is absolute shit, but come on. Patron status, yeah. baby patrons. Patron, I, I know I'm not a patron yet, but what I've what I've done and it's worked for three or four movies for me so far is I'll go on TMBD and, you've, and you, I'll do you upvote it yourself. I upvote the posters myself. <laughs> I downvote so the, I can change you downvote it. the other yeah. ones. Oh. Yes, I do. And oh. If you want to, so you are. If, if you want to, so you're that guy, man. You're oh, uh, you're uh, conspiracies. Oh, guy. Conspiracies. Yo, yo consp- I am a conspirator. Yes, you're a conspirator. Yes. I am conspirator. If you look at my profile right now. And you check one of my four favorite films that I have listed. I've got The Horseman up there. As of today, February 16th, I have changed. I have successfully changed the poster of The Horseman. Oh, I'm, I'm going. To, what's it called? The Horse. It's the John Frankenheimer, right? Yes, it is. And I successfully changed the poster from what it was, which was like a whole bunch of newspaper articles looking poster to a bright yellow one with Omar Sharif and... Uh, Jack uh, Jack Palance and Lee Taylor Young on the cover, and I think it's a much better poster. So, come on, man, pronunciation. Jack Palance. It, it's Palance. Well, you were saying 
You were saying Len Lancaster. I can't even say it the way you said it. Len La Lancaster. 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 Yeah, I say it Lancaster. Yeah. Am I saying it too I, hard? Lancaster is definitely the way I did say it, but I'm pretty sure he pronounced the exact same way as Lancaster PA, like their pronunciation of their town. Uh, that's the only uh, reason I know, but I'm pretty sure it's that's how it's pronounced. But I used to say Lancaster because I got that harsh Baltimore accent because I can't help yeah, myself. I well, I've got a, I've got I guess a New England accent. I think I sound pretty normal. We don't say I mean Baltimore. We say Baltimore. <laughs> right. If and you're real I don't sound like intense. A, I don't sound like a New Yorker or a Bostonian. You're lost. I don't sound like you're like the, I don't sound like a Maynard. You're in the New England diaspora of I don't know how to pronounce things. <laughs> yeah, I'm literally I'm literally just in the middle of New England and uh you're I don't like, have any of these accents. You're in Danbury or how do you say that? Yeah, I call it Danbury. Danbury. Yeah, I mean Yeah. We call it D block if you're you know, if you're from the uh, streets. If you're from so. the hood. <laughs> We're both from the hood, not really. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I don't even know what so, we were talking about. Well, we were we were talking about conspiracies and how I was how I am a conspirator and we were talking about changing things on Wikipedia. But and the, the moral the of the story, the moral of the story is that there is relevance in what the in what Scorpio is saying about how there is a lack of trust sometimes between the public and between these people in higher positions that work behind the scenes that make the political machine work. So Lancaster's character and Elaine Delon's character work for the CIA and there's a lot of betrayal going on, double crossing with all of the characters that are in their lives. And yes. it's also saying, it's also saying something about the cold war. That's, that's the big thematic backdrop other than the personal relationship that is happening between Lancaster and Delon as mentor and student. Yes. I mean, I, I really don't have anything to say to any of that. Like that's how it's laid out. I, I think, I think the knife and dagger portion of it kind of sucks up until, so like halfway through the movie, what's his name? Cross. He he finally you know escapes the U.S. because the CIA is after him and he's doing a bunch of stuff to get out of the country. He gets, I think, to Vienna, right? Yes. Yeah. It starts picking up once he gets to Vienna. It gets better, but everything up to that is just like you don't know what's going on because oh the CIA wants to kill him, but oh he's a, he's a traitor to Russia, and that's all they say. And Elaine Delon's like, yeah, fuck you guys, I'm not doing it. And then eventually they they kind of, they kind of show evidence that he's a traitor and they pay him enough money and he's like okay yeah but he still says like eh, I kind of don't want to and then they put it <laughs> I think they put someone puts heroin in his room and they frame him and they're like all right now we're gonna put you in jail unless you kill him and we'll still pay you okay <laughs> yes um so again this is this is going toward that moral relativism yeah I mean I, right? I, I just wanted to say like the motivations behind everybody is just like everyone's out for themselves and that's all you get. That's what you can boil down like the whole decade of the seventies down to. Yeah. But by, by the end, it's like, Oh, there, our relationship was supposed to be something more, but you're going to kill me. Oh, like, ah, no, this is stupid. I, 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 they just didn't, they didn't define upfront the motives behind everyone or it, 
They didn't give anybody. They didn't give anyone's motives. Like, give no, at least they, give us at least one character that we can connect to and follow throughout. And then if okay, if there's twists and turns because of someone, you know, tra- being a traitor or someone fucking somebody over for money or okay, that all makes sense. But when you just get hey, here's these characters and you don't really know what they're doing, you don't know why they're doing what they're doing. It's yes, it's very hard to. It's really hard to like get into the story it's kind of just like all right it's happening it's it's a weird scenario it's a weird mixture of getting breadcrumbs of elaine delone and burt lancaster's characters we're getting little breadcrumbs here and there of what their background is but then at the same time as exactly what you just said we are not getting any of their motives even from their background for example we find out we find out that Lancaster had involvement with the Spaniards. I believe in there in a civil war of some sort. And I believe for the geopolitics of the time, that literally makes no sense as to who he's supposed to be as a CIA agent, like an American CIA agent. The politics of that character wouldn't fit these background pieces that, the writers are trying to tell us with some of these other geopolitical events that have occurred. I don't, I don't know if you would have picked up on that. Did not, because if you know the history, you definitely are going to pick up on it. I did not, but when they make that reveal, it's towards the end. And it's like, they're just justifying while they, they're this, this to me, that's the screenwriter justifying. Like, this is why we just put you through an hour and a half of shit. Oh, now, now we're going to explain to you, at the at the very end that he was a bad dude or something but at the same time no he wasn't a bad dude he's just he's just part of a game and you know it's a game but yeah. the 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 pieces aren't aren't game pieces they're they're humans and people get hurt i'm like what are you guys talking about it doesn't <laughs> it to me it yeah. was just like very like very just like oh let's throw that in right at the end within the last 10 minutes like i'm supposed to give a fuck now it, it was really I thought poorly done. The the story was poorly executed. You're introduced to the characters up front and they don't even really explain what their relationship is. It's just like, oh, he's a mentor, but he's not. He's kind of like his handler. Uh, Cross is, uh, what's his name? Scorpio's is, is not his code name, but his name is Jean Laurier. They, you have no yeah. idea what their relationship is. It's just like, hey, Oh, we finished the job. All right, now we're going to the United States. They're like, I guess they're in France. They're in Paris. Yeah, see that that part was jarring because oh, we we're, we're, in it, we're yeah, we're oh, we're in the United <laughs> States now. What, what what just happened? Why are we why are we going there? Well, and and not only that, but they split apart, and then they don't meet back up for some time, and then at that point when they meet up again, we have a little bit more knowledge of what's going on because Delon meets up Scorpio meets up with McLeod and a few other people from the CIA, but the McLeod character, Mick. Yeah. McLeod, but it's not spelled McLeod. McLeod. Yeah. John Colicos. I think this, this goes back to your um, comment about Watergate. That guy looked like he looked like, um, Oh my God. I'm going to need to see his face. Uh, He looked like Nixon. He didn't look like, he looked like Nixon. Oh, he looked like Nixon? To me. He had the, I was going to say. He, was, had the, he had the Nixon nose and he had the Nixon haircut, like kind of. 
But yes, he looked like Nixon. I don't know if that was on purpose or just happened to be a really interesting coincidence because I'm assuming he got casted before the whole Watergate thing. Yeah, he definitely like they definitely had to be casted before that. So I, I think that's just a a coincidence that works out in favor of their oh, let's be all paranoid and stuff. It's about oh, people are bad and the government and stuff. Like yes. The government does sh- shady shit. We all knew this from way before 1973. We all knew about this in the Bay of Pigs and except, you know, that's 60s and stuff before that. It's like, this isn't the first time we've seen this. So, yeah, I, I, I just thought you can have all those elements, all those, par- you know, paranoia and the characters don't trust each other because everyone's out for themselves. But if you're going to do that, you have to have good characters that you can build upon the story and they didn't like i thought the screenwriting was shit because they completely didn't use lancaster lancaster to his like he's supposed to be charismatic and he was like barely at all the entire like that's his entire career is being like this charismatic guy and they're like ah fuck it bert doesn't it, it doesn't matter he's just like this guy who's killing people and doing dirty deals and they, they yeah. don't really build upon like his bread and butter you know, if I may, if I may, can I use an example of a film that we've reviewed already? Oh, boy. Yes. I just want to say that I'll make this quick. I just want to say that I while watching this movie, I immediately thought of Topaz. So we reviewed Topaz a few weeks ago and I love that film. It went up to five stars on a rewatch. I think it's completely underrated Hitchcock. Um, but my point is that I think what Topaz does that this film doesn't do is it has a much better Hitchcock has a much better tact on what's going on. He has luscious photography. So he, I mean, I think that that film, I think Topaz is shot in a way more beautiful way, even though it ends on a cynical note, sort of what this, what in the, in the realm of what this film was looking for. Topaz ends in a cynical fashion, but you don't feel like the film is cynical. You feel like the film has a palette of all of these smaller characters that are working toward a common goal or that have their motives. I mean, we clearly know in that movie what Rico Pare wants to do. We know what Juanita de Cordoba wants to do. We know where Devereaux fits in the whole scheme of what the Americans are trying to do and how they're trying to uh, help get help from the KGB defector and figure out what's going on between Russia and Cuba. We all understand what's going on. And that's, that's another film about the Cold War, just like this one. So I think a lot of listeners might not agree with me. They might think that Topaz is um, not a great film, in which I hugely disagree with that. Well, you have the context there is that you've just seen a lot of Hitchcock stuff so you well the other thing is I also have seen a lot of Hitchcock that is correct that is correct but I think I think on an objective level I think there there is a lot of good things that Hitchcock is doing with the camera on top of how we haven't even talked about realism yet right so I think it's fair to say that Scorpio is a movie where they're trying to reach some sort of realism in how these characters are, they, there's minimal action. Like 
shooting sequences and chasing sequences. I think there's basically one, maybe two, if you lump them together, because they kind of happen all near the same point in the movie. Well, there's the car chase in the beginning, and then a, the... Then there's like two that happen later the, on in the movie, yeah, the and they're cons- like one right after the other. The construction scene, and then the... That's the big one. And then the kind of a, a greenhouse, but I guess like a fancy garden and either... Yes. I, again, another problem. They switch back and forth of locations so much. I can't even tell you... I can't even tell the listeners what location that was in, because <laughs> I'm assuming it was Aust- uh, Austria, right? Vienna, Switzerland, yes, I, Where, Switzerland, I think I, Switzerland, I think, I think it's supposed to be Switzerland. Yes. That, that, oh, Switzerland's supposed to be neutral, but whatever. Um, but all the, all the time things are happening with the CIA agents. They're happening with, uh, Burt Lancaster's character. They're happening with Lane Delon and they're happening with Paul Schofield, uh, the, who we haven't even really talked about yet. And you don't know where they're located. <laughs> it's like you guys, yeah. you have to be very distinct either in your photography or you have to like, you know, a lot of movies in the, in the 80s and 90s would just put that little like location uh, subtitle that oh, oh now they're in Germany. Oh, now they're in England. Like, that's all we need. Tell us where we're at. But there's too much. It's and very much jumping back and forth. No. And that's another reason why I think Hitchcock is successful in Topaz, because even though he's not giving us a uh, writing, uh, whatever that's called, when he gives us a location, when any director gives you a location on the screen with a timestamp. We're not getting those from Hitchcock, but there's enough of a change in overall color and composition from scene to scene that I think you know exactly where your characters are in the in the grand scope of the movie. As I've discussed, you know, if you go back and listen to the Topaz episode, I make that pretty clear. Or you can figure it out just by kind of after five minutes, you're like, all right, I know where I'm at. Like here, it's like, here's a 20 second scene, maybe maybe a minute. And then they go somewhere else. And it's like, I didn't even know where they just were. And now I'm going to a new place. I'm trying to figure out where they are now. It's yes. it's too much. Uh, I will say that I think Michael Winner's action scenes, like he has an eye for that stuff because I think the the camera angles, the the movement, the use of geometry, I thought that was very well done. But come on, man. Lever- if that's your bread and butter and you're really good at that stuff, why the hell do we only have like two of those big sequences in the film? Like we should have three or four of them and they should take up the most time. In my opinion, it's almost agreed. No, I agree with you. I, it's almost as if Win, uh, Winner should have, um, he should have focused the movie or shot the movie around set pieces, like action set pieces. And I think he would have come off way more successful. It's just that it wasn't done. It wasn't done that way. It would have been an absolute. There's no doubt in my mind if the, if they would have made this. Um, I'm forgetting my years, but I think it, it's not a, a spy movie, but I think this was a year after the French connection, right? You're correct. If they would have made this just three or four more action scenes and cut out the CIA bullshit about, Oh, the CIA is bad. And here's why I think this would have been a classic. It, it would have been a, a spy classic. That is, I mean, people that are fans of the spy movies would, would hold this in high regard. I don't know if it would have been an outright, I mean, it has, the star power of three huge names from the 60s and 70s, which we haven't mentioned yet, but it was pretty cool that this was a reunion for Burt Lancaster with Elaine Delon and uh, Paul, yeah, from The Leopard and the Train, which both was like almost 10 years prior to this. So that I thought that was kind of cool. And to clarify, that's that's 
Lancaster was in the leopard with Delone and he was in Lancaster was in the train with Schofield. Yeah. Which are two. I haven't seen a leopard, so I'll go off your opinion. Uh, you said it was good before the recording. So both of those films are magnificent. Yeah, The train I watched recently on a semi recommendation from you. I had it on my list for so long. I like Burt Lancaster and I was thoroughly it was very similar to me to Von Ryan's Express with uh, Frank Sinatra, which is another train World War II train movie. In you know, okay, and I I think they're both excellent World War II movies that need to be seen more by people that people just don't know about. I'm just glad that you saw another John Frankenheimer movie. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch. I don't even know how many made, but you you're up to like thirty or forty of his, right? So I'm at thirty three, I think, right now. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell do you know that off the top of your head? You're crazy. I mean, I have a list, man, and we're obsessed with film. <laughs> yes. How the hell do you not make this a classic movie with those three in it? It should be. It should be a classic. And Michael Winter has his, has his reputation with, with all the Charles Bronson movies. I mean, this should have been a classic, in my opinion. Well, those came later, though. Well, Didn't they? Death, uh, the first Death Wish came later? Yes. It was a year later, and then... but All the sequels were scattered after that yes well yeah the death wish movies but he he did a yeah he did the mechanic in chateau's land with him the year before so okay and then he did the stone killer act or the same year and then death wish and then death wish two and three i don't know if there's another bronson movie i I like bronson a lot i've seen 20 or something of his movies but the mechanic is like uh, that's a like a it's not a spy movie, but it's kind of just, it's an action movie classic by some people like considered by some people. And yeah, I like that so much more than this movie. It's insane. And that movie's not even that good. In my opinion, Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just really don't know what happened. I know there was a, there was a big hubbub with the production companies. Um, the Mirish corporation, kind of something happened between um Walter Mirish who was a had a bunch of um 60s movies that you like the apartment was, was okay. from that was from that uh production company uh the Pink Panther the original Pink Panther 633 Squadron um so th- he, this guy made some various pretty big movies and apparently there was a big fallout oh between between who between Walter Mirisch, the head of that production company, and, and Michael Winner. So I don't know if him backing out just, uh, what did he, oh, oh, we have $5 million, now we only have $3 million? I, I don't know if there was some kind of money fuck there up or been. what. But, I mean, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, this company did a lot of big movies. Magnificent Seven, West Side Story, uh, The Great Escape, Pig Panther, In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. You'd All think, big 60s films. Yeah, and this movie, I'm, I'm talking a lot of shit on it because there's a lot of shit to talk about, but it does very well, the couple of action scenes, and it does, I thought was excellent, was the use of the location work of, of Europe, the, especially the European ones. I thought like the, just the, the cinematography of the streets and all that was beautiful, but Again, you need a good story. That's not going to make a movie good. You need a good story to string all that together, right? Yes. It's a, I so I agree I agree with you on the action for sure. I think I disagree with you with how the movie looks. I don't 
I don't like the look of this movie. I, I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. And I was going through it for a reason, which I'll bring up right after this. And going, I was going through it, and I'll, there is a lot of use of colors of just having like different colored cars, people with different colored clothes on. I will credit the cars. I found my eyes constantly going to how beautiful the cars looked. Um, so I, I agree with you there. That might be a, a, a function of, hey, we had a budget of X and now we have a budget of X minus Y. And that Y is how much money the production company took away, um, the Mirish company. And right. I, I'm not sure. I, I would be very interested. I'm not going to buy it. But the $30 Blu-ray with the the commentary, if they would somehow have details about the production, that would be pretty interesting. But I am not buying it. It's just not worth the 30 bucks. If it was 10, I would buy it. But yes. Oh, yeah, you would buy it? Okay. No, if it was ten dollars, I would buy it. I would not yeah, buy it. Yeah, if it was ten. Yes. Yeah, not if it's thirty. It's the too much money for a movie I do not like. Um but the other point I was gonna bring up about the cinematography is and it goes in in conjunction with my Bond comment earlier, is there is a for this trying to be which I think it definitely is, an anti Bond film, because at the time in the sixties and early seventies, I mean Bond was freaking huge. And so this was trying to be different, which for whatever reason, I mean, a lot of other countries kind of go with the fads. So why would you go against the fads? Because if it's if it's a fad, I mean, again, I'm not one for I'm not supporting fads one way or the other. But usually if you go with the fad, you'll make money and it'll be a successful film, whatever. But that's an interesting that's an interesting point to pose, though. My Yeah. So my my, my little critique is for being an anti bond film, there's a shit ton of product placement for some reason, which is a, a bond trope through and through with the, you know, yeah. Rolexes, Aston Martins, the, the type of, you know, whatever he's smoking, whatever he's drinking. So there was a shit ton and I wrote them all down. Not only that, not only that, Ben, but they, there's probably a ton more connections that could be made, but Vladik Shabal, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, who stars in the Apple, the only movie I know him from, he is a Bond regular, I guess you would call him. At least he was in he was in minimum two other Bond movies for the time. So this film is even borrowing actors from the Bond movies, which is interesting. Michael Winner's British, so I would bet a shit ton of the cast and crew worked on Bond movies. I mean, I didn't go and look, but I, I would not put it past them. Um. But yeah, the, the the product placement is very, very, very heavy in the first 30 minutes. I mean, I'm talking 15 or 20 just out in the, like, in one scene, there was like three or four. Like, in when they're having breakfast, uh, Burt Lancaster and his wife, played by Joanne Linville, are having breakfast, and there's like three or four in that one scene. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, that's a Bond thing. A little obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But and then it kind of, again, it kind of falters off. Which if the if in if if the shooting order was in the same order as the story, that means when they went to Europe, they probably kind of just dropped it because it was too much. Very Which possible. I think was an interesting, an interesting thing to pick up because in Bond movies, I besides like the cars and any kind of you know jewelry or clothes he's wearing, I don't really pick up on the product placement too much, but. Here it was like super obvious, like a white. As the scene, all the majority of the colors were white, and there's this one thing that's red, 
<laughs> like, I'm going to yeah. look right at that. I'm not even going to look at the actor's face. I'm looking right at that. So, whatever. I'm just making connections. Uh, I do think the one thing that bothered me in, in one of the scenes uh, with Paul Schofield as the Russian Sergei Zarkov, I think he's a ex-KGB officer, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where they are talking and Burt Lancaster is, is kind of, you know, in Europe and Zarkov is giving him kind of a s- asylum and, and hiding him for a time. And they're talking about, you know, the good old days and communism and democracy. And it's a really weird scene. What the hell are you doing? Jesus, Sergey. You even hide things from yourself. <laughs> Tell me, what keeps you from burning out? Hmm? You see before you the last of a race of giants. No, 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 no. No, I mean seriously. Well, seriously? I still believe I'm still a communist. Communist? For Christ's sakes. After what you've seen, you've seen it turn brutal, inhuman. No, Cross. I've seen men use it badly. What about the trials? The purges. Trials, purges, they are words you have read somewhere, Cross. My trial was so grotesque. My hours of interrogation so terrible that I was numb. It was a kind of frontal lobotomy without anesthetic. And the labor camps where men Good communists, old fighters, men who believed in the dignity of man above all else, were used as draft animals to pull logs on frozen feet. That this could be the result of all I had committed my life to. But baby, at that moment, Did you realize what was happening? At that moment, I tried to understand what had happened to me. Most of us there were communists, not Stalinists. That is why we were there. Nothing had happened to make me renounce myself. I was still a communist. Stalin couldn't take it away from me. And now the dull, gray stupidity that sends the tanks into Prague because it has no imagination. It can't take it from me either. I am still a communist. You're still an idiot. You still serve that dull gray stupidity. That's another point. That's another point to the writers feeling that the writers are just throwing things against a wall because Yes. There's all of these there's all of these political ideas coming together and they they don't make sense with Burt Lancaster's character. If he's supposed to be a CIA American CIA agent, he's got all of these weird background even even if he is supposed to be a double crossing CIA agent, a lot of it just doesn't seem to flush out or make sense. No. I mean again, his whole character doesn't make sense, which I think they thought they were being clever with the whole double cross thing and you know, that whole angle, but 
you know, so during that scene, it made me notice that a lot of the work, at least a lot of the European shooting for this film, you can see that there's a, they're using a guide track or what that means for listeners who don't know is uh, they're, basically they're being dubbed and they were dubbing themselves. And in, in this movie, they were dubbing themselves. A lot of the, a lot of other European movies, if there's an English dub of it, like let's say it's an Italian film, the English dubbers are, you know, if, if an English actor or an American actor, an English speaking actor is talking in a movie, usually they just dub them with whoever they, an example would be revolver with Oliver Reed. I just watched it. A Polizio Teshi uh, movie. He was, hey. yeah, he was dubbed by some bloke, you know, some whoever, whatever. But in this movie, they were dubbed and they used the actual actor's voices for the dub, which is interesting. But I guess that must have saved money on, again, another comment about the money. I, I think that, I think that, I think that this production was probably troubled if I had to take my, my guess. Something I do not know the answer to. I just, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I think that's why this movie failed is they probably had other things planned. And then that production company pulling out, which is documented and you can look that up, that screwed over a lot of plans for Michael Winter and the other producers. I, I don't know if, I think Winter's company, yes, yeah, uh, Scimitar Productions was, or the Scimitar company, I forget if, uh, what the full name is, doesn't matter. They were another, that's his, that's Michael Winter's company. Um, were involved. So I'm assuming he's the one who had it all planned out because he made a lot of movies and he's pretty prolific, um, at least in terms of getting movies made. I'm not sure about how good the quality is. But yeah, I don't have too much more to say about this movie. I think there were there were two scenes that really fucking bothered me, like bothered me. Like, why is this happening? I'm curious to know what these are. One, Sarah, played by Joanne, Joanne Linville, um, Sarah Cross. Burt Lancaster's character's um, wife. The whiff. Yeah, so there's one point where there's like a CIA agent doing something at the neighbor's house and there's a party and somehow the neighbors have the CIA agents there as guests, but Sarah Cross is, you know, knows enough from her husband to kind of be dangerous with the whole spy game, but she's not in deep, as you would say. But she goes, like, she's walking home from this party. There's some sketchy dudes at the party. And she sees some flashlights in her house. And she and what does she decide to do? Oh, there's, you know, I know my husband's on the run. But, you know, there's people in my house right now searching in the dark. You know what a good idea is? I'm going to walk in there with a, and go get a gun out of my car. And I'm going to go in there and try to, you know, take care of them. What the fuck? Yes. That is the most dumb character decision of all time one she's not an agent so she's probably not a great shot so you know if someone's in there and they're a cia agent they're probably pretty well trained with a gun so why would you go in there agreed and two you are there's a bunch of people over at this party go over there and just say hey there's somebody in my house and you know whatever it was a it was attention to it yeah. yeah, it was a reason to get the, her character killed to then further further along the plot with Burt Lancaster being pissed off and going after the guy and figuring out who did it. And then ultimately, Burt Lancaster goes through with this plot to kill uh, McLeod, who is kind of the CIA, not the CIA agency head, but he's the, the he's head a higher of, up. He's the head of the, of the division that he that he was basically McLeod's boss. No, sorry, McLeod was Cross's boss. Cross's boss. Yeah. Yes. So 
that that just led to him being killed. Whatever. Stupid scene, stupid character decision. I hate when characters make stupid decisions. And another scene that really irked me is the funeral scene for that for Sarah Cross. Same character, yes. Yeah, she's dead. And then Jean Laurier, Scorpio, and McLeod and his flunkies. I, for the record, I say flunky like three or four times three on three or four different episodes. So I, I guess I like that word, guys. Sorry. Um, but the CIA agents and McLeod meet with Scorpio at her funeral. What kind of... <laughs> Why are you meeting at the funeral for this guy's wife that you just had killed? It doesn't make any sense. That was, I actually chuckled during that scene because I, I, I was absolutely, my jaw was to the ground. I was like, what in the fuck is this? It didn't make any sense. There's supposed to be these guys. They're, they're supposed to be these people working in the shadows and they are not being covert whatsoever. No. At all. So I, yeah, I know. I appreciate, I appreciate your, your, you bringing up both there, of those scenes. Those are not the only scenes that I have a problem with, but those are the two that jumped out. Um, I do want to think the fourth, I think by the time the fourth or fifth kitty cat scene shut up, I started to get a little annoyed, but yeah. the cats themselves, the cats themselves are fine. It's again, no. it just has to go with. <laughs> <laughs> that, it, it, it was just. It was a bizarre character trait to have. Like, yes, I'm going to pick up stray cats on the street. Uh, and spoiler, folks, he, the last thing he does before he gets killed by a you know faceless CIA agent is he's fucking with a cat. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, uh, it's it just that kind of stuff. Stupid to me. Um, he's an alley cat. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. The Aristocat. He's Tommy the cat. There's a Primus reference. Primus the band. Primus the band. I made a deep cut reference to Tommy the Let, Cat. The let's song. just um, let's just make this a music podcast. I'm fine with that. Watch, yeah. watch, watch me shittily describe music because I'm terrible at that. <laughs> so Burt Lancaster's cross, which apparently has fifty different fucking first names, whatever. Uh, one of his uh, confidants is a guy named Pick, a black man named Pick played by Mel Stewart, who I have not familiar with at all. Doesn't matter. He cross meets with pick and pick helps him, you know, get out of the country. And one of the ways he, he throws off the CIA agents is he goes to this like black church or some, he goes to this, he goes to this place with a bunch of black people and the black guy is like, yeah, man, this is a great disguise. And he gives him a black, he gives him a, a priest outfit yes. and makes him put blackface on. Blackface on. With an afro. And it is glorious because it is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and Burt Lancaster wearing blackface. Guys. Yes. And coming from him, it's even better because he's whatever. He's a huge Democrat. And today, if he was a Democrat wearing blackface, it would be, you know, a, a, a scandal would, story or whatever. It would not fly. He, he's wearing the, he's got his Burt Lancaster smile and those glass, you know, those like uh Terminator glasses. It was, and in the Afro, just fucking hilarious. I, I could, and he's like getting on a Greyhound, I guess with the, the Greyhound uh, bus. Yes. Yeah. And he like a bunch of black kids are there and he waves to them. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> okay, father. Goodbye, my son. Bless you. DC 
I, that was funny. I I just like what <laughs> what is what is happening? Uh, that is funny. So my 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 last note my last note is the title of the film is called Scorpio, and Elaine Delon, his character is named Scorpio, and he's easily the second biggest character I think, which is kind of interesting that we're following really we're we're following Burt Lancaster more than the title card the character than the title card the character in which the movie is named after so i don't even i don't think i would say they're equal screen time i, no. I i'm pretty sure we're we're with, we're with lancaster more than we're with lane delon yes so i suppose i suppose this is more of a nitpick but it's an it's it's a little weird that um that we're not following scorpio more than Lancaster's character. Yeah, no, I agree. But the original, or two, rather, not the original, the two alternate titles for this movie are Dangerfield, which I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, I don't... And the Scorpio Scorpio file. Now, the Scorpio file might have made a little bit more sense. Because it's a file with a bunch of, you know, the happenings of this case happened in, you know, it's in this file. Yes. Whatever. Yes. I agree. I think the the name of the uh the name of the movie implies that you're gonna be following that character more. You know, within the first ten minutes, you think that you're gonna follow that character more. And you don't. That's the crazy thing too. The beginning of the movie, the first twenty minutes, I think were mostly with Lancaster. Besides the couple of scenes with the CIA CIA agents specifically yes. talking to Delon to do things, it's all Lancaster. The almost the entire movie. Yeah. Either they're in a scene together or it's or it's Burt Lancaster trying to get away. And then there's like the final showdown where Elaine Delon's character kills him because he realizes he used his Elaine Delon was dating a girl and Burt Lancaster was using this girl to like accomplish missions and kind of kind of betray Elaine Delon's character, but not really. I, it was stupid. Uh, <laughs> yes. It, I want to say, when I say these things are stupid, I'm saying the plot is stupid. I thought there was enough in this movie to make it semi-enjoyable. I think up until this point, the worst movie we've reviewed on this show is The Old Way. I like this better than The Old Way. Not by much, but I do. I, I think it was... I, I think they were trying to... I agree to, with you. I think they yeah. were trying to do some good things and they didn't. I think uh, the pros of this movie are the action scenes and there's too little of them. There should have been more. And I think the, the the location work was pretty good. I thought so. And I think the whole cynical view of the espionage politics of, you know, this alphabet, comp, um, this alphabet organization and this one versus each other. I thought that was all like decent. But the execution of the character story was terrible. That's so. That's kind of where I'm going to leave the the pros for the movie. I, I if you want to, if you like any of the three leads or the director, it's a reason to watch the movie and just experience it. I mean, some people like this movie. It's got a decent rating on Letterbox. Doesn't mean that's doesn't mean much. That's not the end all be all for movies. But it, it it's not critically received. 
all negative. I think it, on, on average that people think this is a decent movie. I don't think it is, but on average people do. Uh, but yeah, the cons are the characters were terrible. The plot was terrible. Uh, the too many location changes unexplained and just way too many cliches for something that's trying to not be cliche bond movie. It, you shouldn't be that cliche when you're trying to, to be an anti cliche. Right. I, I don't know. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't have a lot of examples because I don't think I've seen that many spy movies besides James Bond. I mean, maybe 30 or 40, which I guess is probably more than the average person in the public, but for cinephiles is probably low on the low end. But I think I prefer my eighties cold war movies only because like at that point with the whole Reagan era, I think that the outlook via Hollywood's was Hollywood was much more popular, uh, not popular was much more positive and like, Hey, we're winning guys. Like, so it was less cynical, which makes for usually the entertainment is a reflection of the culture. And it was maybe more, you know, the culture was more positive in that decade. I'll never know. Cause I didn't live by, you know, live during it, but I wish I did. That's the one that's actually, if I live a normal life, knock on wood, um, that's the one decade I probably won't live in, which is, you know, an eighties decade, but whatever I digress. Yes. Yes. Um, so yes. Yeah. I'll leave with the, on a positive note before we rate, I'll leave, uh, I'll give a recommendation for a bond movie, a James Bond movie, 007. That what you I, got? I, I really enjoy that also came out right around the time of the leopard in the train, which is from Russia with love, uh, with, Sean Connery. Very nice. It's that's that's probably my favorite Bond movie. So I think you should watch that instead of this movie. But if you like, like I said, if you like the three leads or the director, it's a it's a reason. Those are reason enough to watch this movie one time to just, I guess, put a check next to the box. But I, I think there's much more out there to to watch first. Don't make this a priority. I have three recommendations. One of them is a retread because we already covered Topaz. I would obviously recommend Topaz over this movie <clears throat> wholeheartedly um, because I am a fan. I also think Hitchcock understands the ongoings of the Cold War better than most directors. On top of that, I would additionally recommend Torn Curtain by Hitchcock. It was his other Cold War movie that he did in the 60s. He did it before Topaz, stars Paul Newman and um, Julie Andrews. And a lot of people also don't like that one, but I think that is a undervalued film in different ways from Topaz. Um, both, both films, actually, Topaz and Torn Curtain, are considered the two most experimental films in his oeuvre. And then my third recommendation, it is not Cold War adjacent, but it is a spy movie. I will recommend Day of, Day, The Day of the Jackal. Um, excellent film. I was actually recommended this movie by my friend Nick Langdon on Letterboxd. I'll give a shout out to him. Fellow. Uh, he better, fellow be, listen he better be listening. <laughs> oh, yeah, he has listened to some episodes, so... Um, I want to thank him for showing me that movie. Uh, gosh, it's been over a year now. Maybe it's been closer to who, two. Who is in that movie? Who? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Boom. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, you know what? I didn't have that up, so now I'm going to sound like an idiot. The Day of the Jackal. 
Yes. I'm typing, people. I'll get it. I'll get it. You got to edit this part out. Now. Oh, it's the same. No, uh, yeah, okay. I can do that. All right. Do you want me to say it or you say it? No, I got it now. Edward Fox, Terrence Alexander, Michael Alclair. It's, it's a gr- it's a great film. It really is. It's well made. And it came out the same year. It, it came out the same year, so an even better. It's an even better recommendation. Is it? You're so, saying it's not a CIA or it's not a French or sorry, it's not a. It's um, not. It it's not focused on American politics at all. So it's not like American CIA, but it is a. It is. I would consider this a spy movie for sure. Okay. Um, because Edward Fox is supposed to be like this hard. He's this really hard hardened assassin. So adding it to the watch list. Definitely recommend. It's a well made film. I would recommend watching that over Scorpio. And I do have one more thing that I want to bring up that Please. I forgot. And now that we have this outline that we're using, we'll give a, the listeners a little look into what we do. Uh, in the past, there have been reviews where we forgot like big pieces of information and we were just like, ah, fuck it, whatever. We forgot. But now we have an outline and we need to use that a little bit better. I do because this note was uh, kind of glossed over, but I have it written down. So don't worry, guys. Um, my last problem with the movie is the exorbitant exorbitant amount of surveillance, quote unquote, footage used. And the, the CIA just have it ready all the fucking time. And they just, oh, we're going to plug this in and watch it on a regular TV. That was so bizarre. <laughs> I had to bring a it little, up. I had to bring it up because it's, just, is, it's really stupid. That is a little weird for the time. It's, it's like, hey, we're watching this like old time looking tv and it's the size of like an eight by 11 sheet of printer paper it's like you guys are the cia and you ha- you have all this surveillance footage and yet you're looking at you're looking at it at something like the size of a computer screen when you have all these big projectors and it was really weird i don't know all right guys I don't want to be that negative yes. i don't i don't want to be that negative but it was it was uh give I don't- us your rating yeah, don't don't watch this movie unless you have a actual reason to. Don't think it's just going to be a good movie because it's not. All right, my rating. I was thinking about my rating for a while because ratings are hard. Like like I said to you in an earlier episode, writing is hard and also rating movies is hard because consistency is a problem. Uh, at least I see yes. that with other people and myself. But I think being consistent in your ratings is hard just because there's – we watch a lot of shit. So I initially had this at a five out of 10, but I'm going to decrease it to a four out of 10. So a two, two stars on letterbox for people that they need, they can't do the math. They need both. They need both ratings. So I'm telling you both <laughs> peace, love and happiness yeah. people. It's the seventies and the Vietnam war is over. Woo. So I am in the same boat except that I was never going to rate this a two and a half. I was always going to rate this a two out of five oh, or a four out of 10. That was not so, planned. No, it was not planned. I can, debated actually, people- I actually debated um, rating this the same as the old way, which was, we gave that a three out of 10. I was almost going to rate it the same. Um, but I, I think I'm a little I'm I'm being a little bit more forgiving with the action sequences cuz those are they are good. They are good. Good. Well, I think that's a four 
Now, can pe- I was going to ask, can people do the average themselves and figure out the searcher score? <laughs> I don't oh, know. Yes. Can they do math? Yes. Um, yeah, obviously it's a four out of ten, which means, I don't know, Chris, explain to me real quick, since we got a little bit of time, what are your sure. rating, what is your rating, let's just go over our own personal little ideas of what the rating system is oh, on a one out of ten scale for my stupid brain. Um, sure. Like, what is a five to you? What's the five mean? Five I consider like, average. Is that, okay, that's the same thing I I do. So, like, what's an, yes. what's an eight? An eight is a great film. All right. So then what's the difference between an eight and a nine? Like, I always like I'm like asking myself, like, what's the difference between this and, and that? Like a nine, a nine is usually something that I want to five star, but I can't because there's like one or two things that are just holding me back. OK, so um, a nine for me would be like, this is a great movie. It's even a masterpiece, but it's not a favorite of mine. Like if it's a masterpiece. Yeah, sure. And, that's and if I give something a 10, it's a masterpiece that I love. And a nine is like, it's a masterpiece that I'm really happy. I watched that. I probably won't watch again. So it's a nine. Like, unless I have yeah. a reason to, you know, so there's some good, good nuance there. And I, yeah. I really don't, like a one out of 10. I'm really hard pressed to give movies that it's like almost what a movie has to almost offend me or like, I spent two hours of my time watching this and it was an absolute piece of garbage and there's nothing to take away. Like I don't have that many of those, like a one out of 10. So I was just curious yeah. of, of your rating system. It sounds like we're kind of on similar wavelengths there of like what they mean, but yes, I don't know. I, 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 I follow a I lot of people. Are. I follow a lot of people in letterboxd who rate things. And it's like, I just I just think the the rating system of some people is just really bizarre on how they rate things, and it, it's not it's not just Letterbox; it's everywhere. Like if you notice any any critically acclaimed movie that is kind of considered good by most people, will hover around like a seven on IMDb. Like it's always around a seven score, seven you know, yeah. six point nine to seven point three. Like if it's if it's if it's a seven ish score, most people like it. So. You, do do I am I gonna like that? Like, is that score indicative of anything? Is it a barometer? Eh, probably not. Because a, a lot well, of times stuff's always, still shit. It's always hard to tell. I mean, ratings. A lot of people have. It's about p- opinions, right? So when you get down to it, everyone's gonna have different moods. Different. They're gonna yeah. have different. They're gonna have different grading cards, and that's why. I mean, that's basically why a lot of people don't rate things. But I, I, I don't believe in doing that because i, I want to rate because i, I want to rate because i want to look back at it in 10 years and be like okay am i gonna watch this movie again i gave it a seven 10 years ago what's that mean all right i probably kind of liked it right so exactly well it, so that's the thing what that's the point i'm trying to drive home here is when you have your own rating scale you have you fill in the meaning for your own rating scale you don't necessarily have to define that for other people and i just like you, I use mine as a self-referential thing. So if I, you know, a year down the road, I want to remember what I rated something, I can look at it. And knowing that I have a two and a half out of five or a five out of 10 as usually the mark of an average movie, I just flow in between the, the low and the high, you know, and everything in between. So I can look at something and I can give it a, a what I like to call a reasonable rating, depending on where, where it falls, you know? 
Um, of course, my own opinion is still going to skew things because I'm a human. It's just like everybody else. Um, but I, I, also, I also think that not rating things, it's totally up to the person. I just, I don't see the point in not rating things. Just like how people who don't rate things don't see a point in rating things. So it's, it's interesting how that kind of works. I really like when people are like, I don't give anything a half star. I only do full stars. I'm like, what's the difference? Now you're making it harder on yourself because when you want to go back and remember, what the hell's the difference between a three and a four, a, a, a three star, a six and an eight? Like, what happens if it's a seven? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just so, it is a subjective thing yes. to rate things, but I just laugh at that because it's like, if we're going to do that, everything I've watched is it's going to be a under a bell curve. It's going to be a freaking three. Every, I mean, I, I, most of the stuff You'd I watched. Round. Yes. It would round. Everything would go rounding to. It, oh, everything's a six out of 10. So it can't be that bad. Right. I don't know. I just don't get that. Well, there's a little bit more nuance when you have increments in the rating scale. Is, I, is I would prefer what, to have even more. Is. Yeah. I'd have, I'd prefer to have. I know it. you would. I would prefer to have like a out of a hundred score and then, you know, divide it by 10 to get like, all right, I, this is a 6.7 or this is a 6.8. But again, now it's getting into very subjective, like, well, what's the difference between this movie and that movie that made you rate it one decimal point more. So I, right. I, I think it, a, a one out of 10 scale is good. Uh, it's good enough. Right. And that's, I, I just thought that was pretty an interesting thing to bring up because I, yeah, thank you I, for asking. Yeah. I, uh, I, I appreciate br- that. I bring, <clears throat> I bring up movies and like, all right, this is a classic that everyone really, you know, a lot, you know, you go on Letterboxd, you follow a decent, if you follow a hundred plus people and 20 people watch a movie and 18 out of 20, give it a four star or higher. You're just like, all right, that's probably, yeah, everyone kind of likes this. All right, maybe I'll like it. And then you see those two people that just like gave it like a half star. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I just, yes. it's, it's funny. I, it's an interesting thing and it's 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 really just kind of it doesn't really matter too much but for me it's a it's like again it's a memory jogger in the future like hey that one movie by you know that one west that one obscure western from 1951 uh did i like that when i watched it no i didn't want i didn't like it okay good and not only that but you put meaning into what you rate so not everyone so that's the other thing like people can just throw up ratings and be very nonchalant about it um, but then you're also not putting like any meaning yourself into, into what the rating means, right? That's, that's what it's about. It's about putting, it's about putting meaning there. If you're just going to slap star ratings on something and be willy nilly about it, that doesn't really mean anything. So you might, so you, you might as well, point, so yeah, don't do it. <laughs> you, you might as well not rate it. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so it re- it really just depends on it just depends on the person. So, yeah. All right. Well, four out of ten searcher score. Uh, probably don't want to watch this movie, but there are there are reasons to watch it. But there's a bunch of other alternatives that you'd probably want to watch first. You heard it here. Benjamin just said it. So Christopher, thank- Christopher yes. Robin, Christopher Robin. <laughs> I've been called that many times in my life. Oh no. I've been called yes. Benjamin Franklin uh, more times. If I had a Benjamin Franklin every time someone said that, I probably would have twenty thousand to fifty thousand dollars somewhere in that. You pr- somewhere in that realm, and you probably wouldn't be doing a podcast right now. Oh, I would. 
I just wouldn't dedication. be like, I just wouldn't be like more depressed about how we're doing this for free. But no, I'm kidding. I love, I actually <laughs> really enjoy podcasting with you and Kevin. Who? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, man. Love you. Shout out to Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kevin. Give this to 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 Kevin. Here you go, Kevin. Kevin's not here. 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 What? Come on! Yeah, we miss him, but our fly boys gotta fly, you know. We gotta fly. All right, so to our listeners. Yep. Yes. Yes. Thanks for joining us here again for our uh, review of Scorpio from 1973 on the Searchers Film Podcast. We want to encourage you to send your mailbags onto the searcherspodcast at gmail.com. That, again, is the searcherspodcast at gmail.com. We really encourage you to like, rate, and subscribe to us on the various platforms. We are currently on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Podbean. Until next time, dear listeners. Peace. for listening to the searchers podcast if you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies you can find us on letterboxd ben at giant 13 chris at ziglet underscore mer and me at kevin chan find us on spotify and apple podcasts and on searchers film until next time people